All right, Wrestling With Theology fans, I am Pastor Doug Minton, and today we are digging deeper. Week two in the Songs of Ascent, as we look at the great pilgrim songs going up to Jerusalem, especially this week, Psalms 125 through 129. We have great words here again, as the pilgrims are definitely gearing themselves up towards being in Jerusalem, being in the place where God has caused his name to dwell. And at that point in time, the play, the one place where true worship of God could be held in its entirety. So let's look at Psalm 125. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. So far, Psalm 125. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. What does this mean? Well, obviously, the temple is not on Mount Zion. It has not been for 1950-plus years. But Mount Zion is not just the Temple Mount. Mount Zion is the place where God has caused his name to dwell, which, as Jesus tells the woman at the well, that that soon through his death and resurrection, would be everywhere. Which is why, on Pentecost, Peter and the other apostles can preach the word of God to the people from all over the world, from every corner of the Roman Empire. And the churches pop up there as people start spreading that same good news to their neighbors. Where is Mount Zion? Mount Zion is wherever People are gathering around God's word. That is where Mount Zion is. That is what cannot be moved because it is established in God's word. So therefore, it abides forever. And so we have this great picture in Psalm 125, which is why we always talk about going up to Jerusalem, because Jerusalem is up in the mountainous area. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. As the mountains provide that security for the people in Jerusalem, so also God offers security for us, surrounds us with his love and grace and mercy. Why does he do this? Because the scepter of wickedness shall not rest. Now, the psalmist goes on to continue that with on the land allotted to the righteous. But truly, in this world, the scepter of wickedness, the scepter of the devil will not cease, will not rest until he is finally thrown into the lake of fire at the final judgment. They continue on with the land allotted to the righteous because that will tempt the righteous to go off 
into the evil ways. Therefore, we have kind of this karmic thing at the end of Psalm 125. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But to those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. This, like I said, sounds very karmic, like, you know, what goes around comes around. And what you do will be repaid to you. And in a sense, that is very true. That is very biblical. That is why Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And that is the golden rule of life. We have forgotten that rule. We have forgotten that basic understanding of life and relationships. But again, we look at it a little more closely, dig a little deeper in there. Those who turn aside to their crooked ways. Who is that? That's you and me. Not just the blatant sinners out there in the world. Whether it's the serial killers out there or those who, as we talked about earlier this week in the confessional corner, those who are engaged in public lewdness and fornication. It's not just them that are out there reveling in it. It's you and I who struggle with it and fail, who stumble. That we are sometimes led away by the evildoers. But does God abandon us? Absolutely not. The Lord surrounds his people. The Lord is there. The Lord is taking care of us. The Lord is trying to give us that way of escape, 1 Corinthians 10, to give us the opportunity to get out, to find help, to reach out to him or to some one of his people to bring us out of that problem. There is where the peace is upon Israel. Because, yes, God does good to those who do good, but God also does good to those who do evil. Because that is grace. That is mercy. That is the cross. Because Jesus did not die for the righteous. He died for sinners. All right, Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. One of the issues in the Songs of Ascent is the knowledge that some of these will be sung by people who are still spread out among whatever empire is in control at the time. These are not simply just the pilgrims coming from all over Israel during the time of David and Solomon. This is also those going around in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah after they've rebuilt the temple coming back to Jerusalem from all over the Persian Empire, all over the Greek Empire, all over the Roman Empire, to give praise to God. So there is the 
request to restore our fortunes. Give us what we had before. We do this today still. We do this every time we come together for the divine service. Hearing the words of absolution, but the request is made before that to restore our fortunes. To have God forgive us of all of our sins and lead us in the paths of righteousness. To show about the great things that God has done for us, primarily in the forgiveness of our sins. And then we will be like those who dream. Those who dream of a place where there is no sin, there is no sorrow, there is no struggle. That place known as heaven, where God resides. That for us in this life seems to be basically a dream. But the dream becomes reality when our fortunes are restored, when our forgiveness is given to us so that our sins are no longer counted against us, so that we may be filled with laughter and joy. Going back to verses 5 and 6 again. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. That is confession absolution. Sowing in tears, being our sins, being even the sowing of the seed in confession that we believe that God is capable of forgiving our sins, that God wants to forgive our sins, and then ultimately that God will forgive our sins. That is the great sheaves that come out of those seeds in confession. That is why we can be sorrowful in our prayer of confession and yet rejoice when we hear the pastor forgive our sins in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ. All right, Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to, the, to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is filled with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. As you can tell, this is a slightly different vocabulary and style from other songs of ascent. This is one from Solomon. And it sounds very much like Proverbs. It sounds very much like Ecclesiastes. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Everything done not in the name of the Lord will eventually be destroyed. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 3, about the foundation 
and the building upon it with gold and silver and precious stones, with wood and hay and straw. And when the fire comes to test them, yeah, the wood, the hay, and the straw will all be consumed. Everything not done in the name of the Lord, even by Christians, will be swallowed up and consumed by God's refining fire. The labor done in those things will be in vain. And this is, verse 2, really a slap at our society, especially in the business world. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. How many times have we had to pull all-nighters for something or be up well into the morning hours to catch just a few minutes of sleep before getting back up to have to face another day? On occasion, that may be necessary, but to have it be a continual, habitual thing, have it to be a routine to go to bed at 3 and wake up at 4 to start all over again, that does no good for the body. That does no good because God has designed us to have to seek that rest that sleep brings us. And how long can we hold up doing that before we crash? Years ago, I used to do that. I would be up at 4.35 o'clock in the morning every day, Sunday through Wednesday. And Thursday would be the day I would crash. I would be up until 11 or midnight, still get up 4.35 o'clock in the morning, but yeah, Thursday mornings, no, that was more like seven before I'd wake up. Why? Because my body needed to catch up on the rest. It is vain to do that. I don't do that anymore because I don't have that need to do it anymore. I don't see the anxiety in me to have that continue. And then he shifts completely on his head from all of this vanity to what is good. Children are a heritage from the Lord. We see this on signs and plaques and crosses. And I'm not sure why they're on crosses, but it seems like anything that we want to put out from the Bible at some point in time fits on a cross. But children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. We talk about how wonderful it is to have children and how wonderful, especially in church, to hear the children. People go, I'm sorry, my, my you know, infant was noisy in church this morning, just being kind of fussy. It's like, that's fine. I have a microphone. I can speak louder. I would rather have the cries of children in the church than to have the church be eerily quiet. Because what does that show? That shows that there's not much room for growth. There's not much room for looking ahead to what the church may be able to do in the future. 
having a quiver full of children, having a church full of children is a great blessing, is a joyous time. And I truly wish that we had that far more often. But I was listening to a podcast not too long ago having to do with birth rates and really having places like India and China and Korea where the birth rate is 1.6 births for every female. The U.S. is sitting at about 2.1, where basically we're having enough children to replace ourselves, not to provide growth. Long gone seem to be the days where you had families with 8, 9, and 10 kids in them. Yes, most of them used to be in the more rural areas where you had a lot of work on the farm that you didn't want to have payouts for your employees when you could have your children work the land. And yes, many, many, many years ago, you had churches filled with families who took up multiple pews because of their numerous children. And now again, we have likely two, three, if we're lucky, a family with four kids. And it's sad. It's sad because we have bought into the idea that children are not a blessing from the Lord, that children are a burden. Yes, children are taxing. Children can be annoying. Children can be a nuisance. So can adults. It never leaves us. Children are a blessing from the Lord, and they need to be seen as that blessing. All right, we move on into Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Again, we have this picture of the blessing that it is of having a family, of having children. Your wife will be a fruitful vine within your house. The blessing of God upon us as we seek to fulfill his primal commandment. Be fruitful and multiply. Your wife will be a fruitful vine. Your children shall be like olive shoots around your table. Thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. And not only to see children, but that great blessing in verse 6. May you see your children's children. As I do funerals, one of my favorite things is to be able to look at the saint who has gone to be with the Lord and then look at their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, and especially those times when their great-great-grandchildren are there to see the fruitfulness, not just of seeing children's children, but children's 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 children. 
that is a great blessing. That is God truly working in your life. Very great and abundant blessings. And this is what we should all strive to maintain. Not just having a ton of kids, but having, instilling that love of family into the coming generations. That they continue to enhance and to enlarge the family. As God commanded Adam and Eve. As God commanded Noah and his sons and their wives to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Not only with people, but with people who love the Lord. All right, we're going to finish up with Psalm 129. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, let Israel now say. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backward. Let them be like the grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaves his arms. Nor do those who pass by say, The blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Yet they have not prevailed over me. Why? Because I'm so good? Absolutely not. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. Not you. You have not raised yourself up above the level of the wicked. You are right there with them maybe even underneath them, because of some authority they hold over you. But those who hate Zion, those who hate the Lord, may they all be put to shame and turned backwards. Let them be like the grass on the housetops. I spent many years, 11 in fact, in southwest Minnesota, very near Walnut Grove, the background of Little House on the Prairie. And there they still have a couple of sod houses in that area, the places where the rooftop was actually grass. But in Israel, no, you've got maybe thatched roofs, but the grass is very thin there. If you have grass growing, it does not get very tall. It is very much like the seed that is thrown upon the rocks in the parable of the sower. They spring up quickly, but they wither away because they have no root. Their root does not go deep. That is the curse we seek for those who hate the Lord. That their roots may not be deep. That they may not be able to stand when the winds of God's wrath come upon them. And truly, they won't. No matter how deep they think their roots run, they will still be torn out when God comes to harvest. They will still be put to shame. But those who love Zion, he has made sure their 
roots are planted, that they may truly be there to see the great glory of God when Jesus returns. That was the hope of the pilgrims, to see the Messiah come among them, to see God in their midst. When they came to Jerusalem, they hoped that maybe that might be a time where God would show himself. And they wanted to make sure that everyone there loved the Lord. That's exactly what we want. We want everyone in our lives to love the Lord. And that causes us to wrestle with all kinds of things in this life. All kinds of sin and vice that separate us from those who we love. That we would love to see honoring God with their lives. That is one of the reasons I do the Digging Deeper segments. To help get us into the scriptures to see God loving us, to see God's grace, and to be strengthened with that grace so that we might be able to help strengthen them to come out of their sin and vice to love the Lord. That's it for this week. I am Pastor Doug Minton, thanking you for being here to dig deeper into the Psalms with me. Next week, we have the third and final week of the Songs of Ascent as we look at Psalms 130 to 134. So I encourage you to be back for that. Be here on Monday for the Confessional Corners. We look at the Seventh Commandment. If you enjoy professional wrestling, I encourage you to be here on Wednesdays for Pro Wrestling America, the best fantasy wrestling league on the internet. But then also to be here for the moments of meditation, the weekly sermons from our Savior, and all the other things that are on this podcast to help you to be strengthened to wrestle with the theologies around you every day. Amen.